You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, Aaron's here. I am here. We'll get to the Redskins recap here in a moment. Uh, Max Scherzer was uh, back on the mound last night, and uh, he did pretty well. I mean, threw 71 pitches, four innings, gave up a hit. Uh, I'm sorry, gave up a run, gave up four hits. Um, Nats with a huge series starting this afternoon at Wrigley. Uh, that will be big for them. And did anybody see, Aaron, what happened in the Raiders-Packers preseason game last night? Did you see that? Unbelievable. First ever game in Western Canada. By the way, the background for this was that the Raiders, uh, this was a Raiders home game in the preseason, and when they made the preseason schedule, they still weren't sure about whether or not it was going to be Oakland or somewhere else uh, for the 2019 season. And then the A's scheduled a game there, so they had to find another place to play the game. And they decided on Winnipeg, Manitoba for the game last night. Oh, those Canadian friends because it always works out in in Canada. Typically it does. Toronto, Montreal have always had um decent uh you know games up north. It's the games down south that tend to be the problem like Mexico City last year and some of these London games with the field conditions over the years. But last night the field was in such bad shape in the end zones that they reconfigured the field to 80 yards. The 10-yard lines became the goal lines on both ends. Um, and so they played an 80-yard football field last night. Now, do you have any idea as to whether or not any wagers made on this particular game were accepted or were they con- or were they voided out because it wasn't a typical NFL game? Now, here's the funny thing with Vegas, and Vegas in particular. Your, your online sportsbook might have done something different, but... If you are going to void a game, it has to be in in writing beforehand the stipulations that can lead to a no-action bet. So, for example, if there was a change of venue, if the game got moved, or in baseball, if a starting pitcher gets changed, usually books will have it there that says if the starting pitcher of changes, course. we can make it no-action. Well, also, lightning in an NFL preseason game, I think, is a no-action game. Well, as long as, as it long doesn't as it go doesn't 55 get... minutes. Exactly. So, yesterday, the uh, Eagles-Ravens game was a no-action because it did not go the oh, full I didn't even know minutes. that. It got ended. Ended by by lightning. Yes, that oh, got I didn't ended by that. Uh, rain and lightning and stuff. They could have played, but obviously it was preseason, so that yeah. was a no action. There's nothing in the books that say if the if it gets changed to an 80 yard field. Well, why would there be? Exactly, it's never happened before. It's something that's never come up and never even conceived. So yeah, all the especially the totals. That was the big one that got. Uh, you know, really hammered because obviously an 80-yard field, more scoring. More so, sc- what was the final score? Uh, 21-22. So it wasn't that crazy, but yeah. the over/under was, I believe, 37. Don't so, ever give the scores 21-22. That sounds like the way my wife would read the score. It's 22-21 is the way we did. I say 21-22. Read the score. Uh, yes, you did. You said wow. 21-22. Never done that. Um, but yes, 22-21-43 went <laughs> over. But yeah, I was talking to some people at Vegas, and they said, "Yeah, we're going to put something in the books that if." For whatever reason, it's not played under standard NFL rules. We can rule it a no action. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, some of these field conditions we've had in the UK games, and the London games in particular, where these fields have not been NFL caliber. Now, I've actually enjoyed some of those games because when I was younger and I became an NFL fan, you had true mud games. You had true weather games. Like, there's no mud on a field anymore. You know, you get the field turf fields, but even the natural grass fields are like a sand base. So you don't get the dirt that turns into mud during a rainstorm. Plus, the drainage systems are so good, you rarely even get standing water on a field anymore, even in a downpour. I mean, the rare game occasionally where it's really bad weather like Miami's had a couple of games in recent years um and not that recently but games in which they had the baseball diamond out on the field early in the season and they had thunderstorms and you had like a real mud game oh god if you want to find a mud game that was the all-time mud game go to YouTube search Rams Vikings 1977 playoffs That game is available start to finish as CBS broadcasted it. And I think it was, I believe, I believe it was Lindsey Nelson. No, it was Vin Scully. I think it was Vin Scully who called the game. Maybe with George Allen, um, by the way. Uh, Or maybe not not in 1977. Anyway, 
That game, it had rained all day the day before, all night long, and all day leading up to this playoff game between the Rams and the Vikings, and they didn't have a tarp on the field. It was the best mud game of all time. You could not distinguish between the players on either side by the time you got to late in the second quarter. Outstanding. Anyway, on the betting thing, the Mexico City game, if it had been played last year on that shitty field, do you think that they would have taken action? They wouldn't have had a rule against that? It's sort of a subjective thing. Like, How do you put it in the rules that the field's not in good enough condition for the bet to stand, for it to yeah, become I, a no-action bet? I assume they would have been action because you know nothing changed. It was yeah. just a really crappy field. They would have obviously moved the lines around Yeah, a lot, they would have adjusted the lines. But any bets that were in, they would have had to accept. Anyway, uh, they played it on this 80-yard field, and they started drives without kickoffs. There were no kickoffs at 15-yard lines, which meant you were essentially starting five yards from your your own goal line to start a drive, um, which I'm sure was uncomfortable. The Packers seemed to be the most upset. They sat most of their front-line players who were expected to play. Aaron Rodgers was questionable with the sore back, but I think he was going to play, but he didn't because of this situation. And John Gruden last night said... I'm not going to sit here and complain about anything. This was a football game. We saw it as a great opportunity to play the Packers. And if you've been watching the Hard Knocks thing, one of the things he's definitely emphasizing is there's no excuses. We play anywhere, anytime. One o'clock games on the East Coast, even though we're, even though we're a West Coast team, we're not going to have excuses. We're going to be ready every week. And that sort of continued with him last night. By the way, this should make for a very interesting Hard Knocks episode with this 80-yard reconfigured field. Yeah, I'm excited to see yeah, that. Yeah, hopefully we'll get some really good conversations, uh, you know, pregame about the field, and we'll hear what John Gruden really uh, had to say. Um, before I get to my game take um, from last night, I uh, wanted to um, address some of the follow-up to my report yesterday that the Patriots were willing to offer their 2020 first-round pick for Trent Williams, but were told by the Redskins it wasn't enough. Uh, J.P. Finley came out with the same report. Actually, he furthered the report, had some interesting information in his report, um, which also uh, the headline of, of which was the Patriots were willing to offer uh, a first-round pick for Trent Williams. But there was significant pushback. Um, on the report from a couple of national uh, reporters, Ian Rappaport being one. He shot it down in a big way. Field Yates, who I really like a lot, actually. We had Field, remember, a few weeks ago um, on the podcast. Um, He's got ties to New England, I I believe. Um, He used to work with the Patriots. Yeah, he shot it down as well. Um, So anyway, um, I wanted to respond to that because I did mention after – I said yesterday that the Patriots were willing to offer their 2020 first-round pick for Trent Williams, but were told by the Redskins it wasn't enough. I said, and I predicted, that this would be denied um, by everybody. Um, It wasn't in anybody's interest for this to get out, and I knew the Redskins would deny it and mention that. Um, I also referred to this offer in the past tense, not the present tense, meaning, you know, as I said yesterday, if you followed the chronology of all of this Trent Williams trade talk. A few weeks ago, a Patriots beat writer, J.P. Finley, a few others suggested that Trent Williams, that teams had inquired about Trent Williams. J.P.'s report said three teams, including the Patriots, had inquired about Trent Williams. Um, And then after those reports uh, reports a few days later, uh, there were follow-up reports that suggested that the Patriots weren't interested at all. And what I said yesterday is that's that makes sense to me because they were interested and they offered a first, and then when the Redskins rebuffed that offer and wanted more, then they weren't inter- interested anymore. So that uh, level of reporting made sense. Anyway, my report yesterday was the Patriots were willing to offer a first-round tr- uh, pick for Trent Williams, but the Skins wanted more than that, and I'm sticking with that. Um I, there's no nothing that uh, that I uh, have. Um, there's no conversation that I've had since then that would make me want to rescind that at all or think differently about it. JP had the same story. JP furthered the story by saying the Redskins were also asking for a first and second. He had the detailed information as to what the Redskins wanted. Um, but anyway, uh, these reports, JP's, mine. Um, were were uh, refuted. I mean, Ian Rappaport said this is false, unequivocally not true. Was the precise wording? So carry on. Look, I mean, I'm not going to knock his sources. 
Um, I just know that for me, you know, I'll say a couple of things. Um, I'm sticking with my story. My sources on this one have never steered me wrong in the past. As most of you know, I don't have this kind of stuff a lot, but when I've had it in the past, I've been right, and I feel the same about this one. The other thing, too, is what some suggested, like pro football talk, that somehow the Redskins were leaking this information through me and JP. That's not true. Um, The Redskins have never leaked information through me. Not in the past, not now, not ever. Nor will they, by the way. Trust me on this. Now, I did hear from them. I heard from them, as I expected to, um, to tell me that it was wrong. I knew they would deny it. But if you look at my recent track record on stories involving the Redskins, it's not like I've had a lot of these stories to begin with. But when I've had them, A, I've been right. B, they haven't been the stories a team would ever want to leak to me. The team would never want to leak the Josh Norman headphones in New Orleans at halftime story. All right, come on. Use some common sense here. You think the team's really going to leak that one? I had that one. It was right. A lot of people were very upset about that You know, early on. There weren't denials necessarily from the team on that. Um, but you know, some other reporters, you know, who I guess were upset that they didn't have it, you know, it's, it refuted it early on, which was fine. I expected that too, but that's not the story that's going to get leaked by the team through me. They're not leaking anything through me. Also, by the way, seriously, for anybody locally that would suggest for one second that this kind of thing would be leaked through JP or me intentionally by the team, you haven't been paying attention. The The Redskins never leak anything locally. Nobody locally gets anything from them. When they leak, they leak exclusively through their national contacts, not local contacts. That's been a given under this regime from the start. I mean, the owner owned the radio station that I worked for for 14, for 12 years, all right, we were the rights holding flagship for that station, and we never got anything from them. When they leak, they leak to national guys, not local guys. Most of the reporters in this market know that and understand it. So I'm surprised that anybody would suggest the possibility that the Redskins would leak something through me or anybody else locally. They've never done it before, certainly not through me. And I don't think they ever will, to be honest with you. Anyway, I stand by what I said yesterday. And as I predicted, it was in everyone's best interest to deny it, which is what I expected. And that's fine. They should deny it. Um, also, by the way, you know, enough about that, but I, I will also say that I think they should trade him. I think it's clear that the, the Redskins may consider trading him and hopefully Bruce will be patient and wait for a blockbuster opportunity. I actually think so far from my perspective, he's handling this pretty well, but you know, this has to finish well before any of us give it, give, you know, real credit to him. Anyway, uh, let's get to the game take. Pay attention, here's Kevin's Game Take. All right, this was, you know, what they like to refer to as the all-important third preseason game, the dress rehearsal game, which really actually has gotten to the point where, you know, a lot of these NFL teams aren't playing starters even in this game anymore. You know, the Falcons did on offense and defense, or a lot of their starters anyway. Julio Jones wasn't out there, but, you know, Calvin Ridley was out there, and Hooper was out there, and Matt Ryan was out there, and Sanu was out there, and McKinley was out there. They they had a lot of their starters. And the Redskins, you know, we saw the what we believe to be the starters right now as they will be pegged in on opening day against the Eagles. Let me mention one thing about the Eagles game. I said yesterday, I think I said it on the podcast, I know I said it on the radio show, I like the Redskins in the opener against the Eagles. And so I played them yesterday at plus nine. And what I noticed this morning, Aaron, is it was down to eight and a half. There's some sharp money coming in on the Redskins for the opener. It's not an indication of the way I feel about the season. I just think there might be an opportunity in week one. Anyway, um, the big takeaway from the game last night is that Case Keenum went out there with the starters and played a full half with basically the starters. And then came out after halftime, and Dwayne Haskins went in and played with the backups. And so that's a clear-cut indication of what John Kime told me on the radio station yesterday. And that is that Case Keenum is going is to start. Or it's certainly, at the very least, a clear indication that Case Keenum is ahead of Dwayne Haskins. 
And so unless Colt McCoy comes back and gets super healthy, it's going to be Haskins against Philadelphia in the opener. How do I feel about that? You ask, or you may ask, uh, I want to see Haskins sooner rather than later. Um, But I'm going to trust the football people out at the park that are in every meeting and in every practice, and they know who's ready and who who isn't. I personally would, would err on the side of Haskins if it's close, but it sounds like it's not close. Nothing I saw last night indicates that it's so, that there's this huge disparity between the two of them. But then again, Case was playing with the ones against the ones, and Haskins wasn't. That was my biggest disappointment from the night last night, is I wanted to see Haskins get some starter minutes. Um, I thought Keenum looked good. I thought Haskins looked good. You know, Keenum missed a receiver, missed number 15, uh, which I think is Steven Sims, not Cam Sims, who I really like, number 89. Um, Missed him, threw behind him in the end zone. You know, got a strip sack fumble, can't give up the ball. You know, can't turn the ball over. That set up Atlanta's one short drive for a touchdown. But I thought he looked pretty sharp. Got him in and out of the huddle, looked decisive, looked quick, got the ball out quickly. I thought he looked pretty good. And then I thought Haskins came in and looked really good. Like, he looks the part. I mean, I love the way he he's, his feel in the pocket and his his quickness, actually, with his feet in the pocket. It's very impressive to me. I mean, it's, it's actually you know, revealing of something that I didn't think existed. I did not think he was that mobile. I didn't think he was that elusive in the pocket. I thought that was going to have to be worked on. He's got some natural ability in the pocket. I think he slimmed down a little bit. Um, But whatever. Uh, I thought he looked the part last night, too. Again, in a different circumstance, um, obviously, because he's playing in the second half against uh, lesser players. But thought they both looked fine. The biggest disappointment of the night clearly is the injury to Jordan Reed. He's back in concussion protocol. He's had a lot of concussions during the course of his career. This is something that's concerning. It's a shame too because you know from a foot and hamstring and other toes he appeared to be very healthy. That was a wicked shot and a dirty shot in many ways by Keanu Neal. You know not intentionally so maybe dirty's a, a little bit too strong. But it was a wicked shot he took, and it, it was a shame because uh, Jordan Reed's special, man, when he's healthy. He's good. He's a difference maker. Without him, you know, who are the difference makers out there without him? Well, one of them might be Darius Geis. He was clearly, in, you know, along with, I think, Landon Collins, the two most impressive players for the Redskins in the game. Geis looked good. He looked you know, decisive. He looked confident. He looked good cutting. He looked good accelerating. He looked good with power. He looked good with vision. I really liked the way Darius Geis looked. I mean, I think everybody did. He got 11 carries for 44 yards. He looked ready. I mean, it's clear that, you know, Jay wanted to get him the work. It's been a year since that ACL uh, against New England in the preseason game a year ago. He got the work. And we're going to see a lot of Darius Geis and Adrian Peterson, you know, sharing carries. And then we're going to see a lot of Chris Thompson on third down and in passing situations. That's the strength right there, the offense. I mean, there it is. Geis, Peterson, Thompson. You know, it could be Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis, um, but, you know, now we've got issues with Jordan Reed and some question marks about his health for the opener. But Geis, Thompson, and Peterson, that is the known on offense right now. Uh, because the receivers, I don't know who distinguished themselves. Robert Davis continues to do a lot of good things. I mean, special teams, clearly. Kidsey played the slot for Quinn, looked good. McLaurin, you know, drew a P.I. in the in the end zone. Doxon had a catch last night. The guy that I thought really stood out as a receiver is the guy, Aaron, who John Allen, when he came on the show with us a month or so ago, and I asked him, I said, give me one player on the entire team that's going to super surprise everybody this year. And he said, he said Cam Sims. You know, I wasn't expecting him to say an offensive player. He said Cam Sims is going to be the surprise contributor this year. And number 89, who by the way is 6'5", and is about two, you know, fifteen, and can run. And we saw that last night. I think he's going to make the team. The receiver situation is going to be very interesting in terms of the final cuts. J.P. Finley was on with me earlier and just suggested that the Redskins will likely keep seven. Like, there's a legitimate chance they could keep Doxon, Richardson, Quinn, McLaurin, Harmon, Davis, Kidsey, and Cam Sims. 
You know, that would leave a guy like Brian Quick, who we know Jay Gruden likes, out of the equation. Um, but that's a possibility. Uh, I thought Geis was the most impressive player on offense, and I thought Landon Collins was the most impressive player on defense. Uh, and I thought that way, uh, I thought the same last week. Uh, Joe Theismann said something during the broadcast that stood out to me because I felt the same way. And he said, quote, he said, this defense right now looks very coordinated. And I agree with that. There is a cohesive, you know, uh, playing together feel, at least for a preseason game, that looks good to me. And then you throw in the fact that they're faster, they're probably more athletic. I'll tell you who's definitely more athletic is Deron Payne. Um, and they're energetic, and Landon Collins has really brought the energy. And, you know, people remember said about him he's an in-the-box safety, and that's what he is, and you don't pay that kind of money to just an in-the-box safety. And there was pushback to that. Um, you know, Cooley said he's more than that, and other people have said, you know, he's more than that. He can cover as well. Well, he can cover. He almost had a pick, should have had a pick. But one of the things that's obvious here in two games is he's a hell of an in-the-box safety. <laughs> Like, he anticipates well, he's aggressive, he's one step ahead of everybody, and he tackles exceptionally well. I really like the promise of Landon Collins this year. Um, I was also very impressed with Deron Payne for a second straight week. He looks like a different athlete to me, and he looks like he is going to be impossible to block. I thought Bostic, their inside linebacker, gave you indication as to why they were comfortable moving on from Mason Foster. And at times I thought Montez Sweat was okay, and at other times I thought he looked a little bit stiff, to be honest with you. But he he pressured the passer. Um, and then, you know, some of the plays in which I thought he looked stiff, and Fred Smoot suggested to me this morning on the radio show that he might be hurt a little bit. One of the things you saw from him at Mississippi State was this relentless motor where he's running guys down from the backside and, you know, running right to the whistle. And I don't, he looked stiff last night to me. That's what he looked like to me. Well, anyway, I love Casanova McKenzie, number 58. I don't know how Greg Minuski will keep him off the field. He had two sacks. One of the things that's so obvious, you don't have to be a coach or inside or watching film to pick up on the fact that Casanova McKenzie has true edge speed as a pass rusher. I think he's going to be very difficult to keep off the field in third and long. He's a guy you just turn loose and say, go get him with that speed. And on the other side, you got Kerrigan, and somewhere you got Sweat. And on the interior, you got Payne and Allen and Ioannidis. There's a lot of talent defensively. Let's just hope, as I've mentioned here recently, it gets coached up well and that they don't get figured out and that they play together. And they got some talent defensively. It's the path to a competitive season, is a defense that steps up from. A middle-of-the-road defense last year, which was much improved from 2017, to a top 10 or higher defense this year. They've got some talent. Uh, They could end up being a very, very good defense this year. And if they are, they're going to be in a lot of those games, like they were last year early in the season when they weren't turning the ball over, where they were winning field position, and they were winning a lot of close games that their defense was keeping them in and that the offense wasn't ruining with turnovers or mistakes. You know, the Carolina game, the Dallas game in particular, all, you know, sort of jump out as games that the defense kept them in and the offense didn't make any mistakes. And then you got breaks. You know, you got breaks like the Cowboy kicker missing the kick to force overtime at the end. So, um, anyway, that's what I like. That's what I didn't like. I'll mention one other thing I didn't like. Two other things, actually. Actually, have I mentioned anything that I didn't like? Probably not. I focus more on the positive here because I thought there was a lot of it. I thought there was plenty of it. The two negatives, Eric Flowers made a big mistake at the goal line with a holding penalty then gave up a sack. Some caller mentioned to me, looks like he looks like an injured Sean Laval. Well, that would be scary. Um, yeah, it looks like he's struggling. You know, hopefully Wes Martin, you know, is a guy that can step in and play sooner rather than later. I mean, Flowers is moving to a new position. It's going to take him some time. He is a big athletic dude. Um, and I don't know that he played poorly on every play. Um, it's hard for us to tell that when it comes to offensive line and D-line play and what their responsibilities are, etc. Um, but, you know, Eric Flowers looks like a question mark last uh, on this roster right now. And I would also tell you, even though it's a preseason game, um, but this is one of the things I always sort of 
pick up on when it happens. And I want Jay to become better at this. And it's preseason, and you don't have to get super alarmed by it. But when they got the ball back at the end of the half, they had two timeouts, good field position at the 32-yard line with, I think, 43 seconds left. They ran a play where they dumped it off to Chris Thompson and he lost a yard or two. And the next time they took a snap was with 17 seconds left in the half. And they threw it. You know, you can't do that. It's a preseason practice clock management. Once Chris Thompson got tackled in play, that's a timeout right there. That is a timeout. Now you got 37 seconds, 36 seconds to take your second down snap with still a timeout left. Instead, they snapped it with 17 seconds left. So you basically lost, you know, 18 to 20 seconds. You can't do that. Jay's not been good at this before. We were told that Kevin O'Connell was going to be a bigger part of this. Um, We're going to be watching this all season long. I know it's the preseason, but what do you have to lose to practice good clock management in a preseason game at the end of the half with the guy you want to be your quarterback in the opener trying to get in field goal range with a kicker who was exceptional last night, had already made his first two, ended up making two more in the second half, Indoors, all you got to do is get to the 40-yard line for this guy to give him a shot. You know, so you're only, you know, at that point, uh, 25 yards, 30 30 yards away from field goal range. Got to leave yourself with some time. You can't take a snap at 43 seconds and then have the next snap come at 17 seconds. Can't do that. Got to understand how to manage the clock to increase the opportunity that you will have more plays to try to get points on the board. Is it better, Aaron, at the end of a half when you're on offense to have more plays or less plays? Hmm, I'm going to say more plays. That's the right answer. That's the right answer. It's something that for the life of me, so many coaches have never been able to figure out. And Jay Gruden, I hate to say it, is one of those coaches. He's never been able to figure out how to use his timeouts the right way at the end of a half. It is better to have more opportunities to run plays than less opportunities to run plays. All right. uh, Quick word about Stamps.com. Stamps.com right now is the most popular time-saving tool for small businesses. It eliminates trips to the post office and saves money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. I know we're a small business We use Stamps.com. Stamps.com brings all of the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, which is what we do, not enough invoices, but enough to keep it a viable business. Um, You might be an online seller shipping out products or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com handles it all with ease. Here's how you use it. You simply use your computer and you print the official postage from your computer for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, you just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it off in a mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. It's a no-brainer, saves you time and money. No wonder 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Now, right now, my listeners, you get a special offer. It includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the mic at the top of the homepage, use my code KevinDC, that's K-E-V-I-N-D-C, that's stamps.com, KevinDC. The other big story in town last night was the return of Mad Max. You know, out there for the first time since July 25th, just his third start in the last two and a half months um, with the injuries that he had and the all-star break, etc., and he went out there. I watched the beginning. Aaron, did you watch a lot of this or were you focused on the Redskins game? I was I was flipping back and forth between several games. Yeah, I I, I, I certainly watched the beginning and the first batter was um for them was Frazier who hit a deep shot to like right center that I thought when it left it was heading out and I was like, oh God, that would suck if the first uh batter that he faces hits a home run. But it was caught on the warning track and he got out of that inning unscathed. One, two, three inning uh, I think the the gave up his first you know hit 
uh, maybe two hits in the second inning. Um, but for the most part, you know, he labored a little bit. He, he threw 71 pitches through four innings. You know, that's a lot of pitches through four innings. But he got through it, you know, giving up one run. They gave him the two-run lead early, and that's really been their move here recently is in the first two or three innings, they've been jumping on people, you know, and getting big leads. And, you know, after it's, – it's interesting to watch them. They had this stretch of 43 runs in three days, and then they opened with a 13 nothing win. Uh, I, I'm sorry, the, the, the 43 runs were – the um, two games against the Brewers and the one game against the Pirates on Monday. And then they had one run in the loss, you know, on, on Tuesday night. Then they came back with 11 in seven. They are, you know, explosive offensively, but they're getting on top of people early. And here's the thing that I wanted to mention. This is a, you know, they're in the midst of this stretch of schedule, which is favorable. Now, this weekend isn't. You know, they get the Cubs starting this afternoon for three at Wrigley. The Cubs have won five in a row. But you know they took care of Pittsburgh, winning three of four, which was huge. They've got two with Baltimore next week, three with Miami next week, and you know I was thinking you take three of four from Pittsburgh, two from Baltimore. You take you know hopefully two or three, if not three straight, you know against the Marlins, and you're going to be really close to first. You know you're going to be within three games, four games, you know max before you get into some of these games with the Braves. Have you seen what the National League East has been doing? Yeah, they've been on fire lately. On fire. I mean, the Braves have won five in a row. The Mets have won five in a row. The Nats have won, you know, two straight. But, you know, they're on this roll going back to the Milwaukee. You know, they've won three series in a row. The Phillies all of a sudden are playing their best baseball. They've won two in a row. The, The National League East may not be the best record aggregate, you know, one loss, but they're the only division in baseball with four out of their five teams with winning records. I mean, their fourth place team, Philadelphia is 66 and 60, six games above 500. And so you've got a division. Atlanta's probably, I think we mentioned this yesterday. I mean, here are the Nats having this unbelievable stretch. And here are the Mets, by the way, on a 21 and five run, the Mets are on. And still, the Braves are up six on the Nats and up nine on the Mets. It's pretty impressive. The Braves have, have, have continued to play great baseball and maybe you know a little bit under the radar because the Dodgers have been so good, the Astros have been so good, and the Yankees have been so good. You know, they're having great regular seasons, and the Braves are sitting there at 77 and 52, um, just holding off the, the red hot teams below them because they continue to play really well. Who do they get this weekend? Um, the Braves get the Mets. All right, so huge series. Like, the Mets have a chance to really make some hay here and get back into this thing to a certain degree. They're not going to win the division at nine back. Um, but they, you know, we thought when they were going through that big winning streak, you know, that ended with the Marlins, we're like, all right, well, they got the Nats now, and they got the Braves, and they got the Indians coming up. Well, they took two or three from the Nats on those two dramatic games. They um, then lost two of three to Atlanta, but they took two or three from from the Royals, easy, and then they just swept the Indians, crushed the Indians right now because the Indians were in a tight division race. They're now three and a half back of Minnesota, and in that God, that American League, if you looked at that wild card race in the American League, it is nasty. I mean, you got good teams that aren't like right now: Oakland, Tampa. And Cleveland. Cleveland's 20 games above 500, and they are out of the wild card as of today. It's impressive. That's unbelievable. Like two of those three teams, one of those three teams between Oakland, Tampa, and Cleveland is not going to be in the postseason. And Boston's really slipped here recently. There's seven games ab- yeah. above 500. They're not going to be in the postseason no. at this point. They're, they, they, it's a long shot. And the National League has more teams that are involved in the race, um, but not as good, um, although the Nats right now are, are really good at 13 games above 500. Then the Cardinals at the second wild card spot. And then chasing that second wild card spot are the Mets, the Phillies, and the Brewers, um, all within, you know, the, the Mets are a game and a half out, the Phillies two games out, and the Brewers are three and a half out. Um, and the Giants made that brief run for a moment. They've now lost four in a row, and they're likely out of it, even though there are still you know, 38, 37 games left. Um, but an interesting playoff race, both leagues. And for the Nats, it's amazing that they've played as well as they have, um, and they are still 
you know, being kept at bay by the Braves six games back. You would have thought at this point they'd be a little bit closer. They got a chance, you know, but this is a big series with the Cubs who are red hot too. Um, I know the I know the Nats have Sanchez, and then they probably have Ross if he's healthy. Let me see what they have scheduled. Here it is: Sanchez, Ross, Strasburg, Sunday against um, Lester, Quintana, and Hamels. All right. And then they get the two with the, the uh, Orioles at Nats Park uh, next week. Um, real quickly, Launch Workplaces in Bethesda is a place where if you live in that area, you should be considering Launch Workplaces as a place to move your office or if you just need you know, a working desk for a day. Um, they offer that uh, as well. Um, brand new, fully furnished offices, flexible office solutions. They've got a cafe. They've got free coffee in the morning. Um, they also have plenty of parking. That's always you know, one of those situations where what's the parking situation? There's plenty of it and it's free. Um, you've got 24-7 access. Just go to launchworkplaces.com. If you're interested in the Bethesda location, uh, it's right there in the Massachusetts Avenue corridor. Um, and they'll give you a free exclusive two-day trial if you mention my name. Go to launchworkplaces.com and you c- can find out where all of the other locations are around town, and they've got several of them. Uh, They've got one in Gaithersburg, they've got one in Rockville, they've got one in Silver Spring, and they've got the one here in Bethesda. But uh, if you're working from home and it's not working out and you live in this general area or you want to move your office, consider Launch Workplaces of Bethesda or anywhere else where they have a location. All right, finally um, on the show today, real football this weekend. Two college football games tomorrow night. I do not have an initial smell test selection for either Miami versus Florida or uh, Arizona versus Hawaii. You get a doubleheader tomorrow night. It's actually, I mean, doubleheader. Most of you aren't going to stay up for Arizona-Hawaii on CBS Sports Network, but you do get from Orlando uh, the University of Miami uh, with their new coach, Manny Diaz, against eighth-ranked Florida, a team that I really like. I liked them last year, too. Um, I think they've got a chance to be a really good football team and be one of those teams in the SEC that could potentially win the SEC East and have a chance at Bama, you know, perhaps in the SEC title game to get to a playoff spot. I think Florida is that good. Um, defensively, they lost some guys. They lost that guy, Polite, who I loved. Um, they've got some talent, though, defensively. And hopefully, finally, Felipe Franks, who was really one of the top quarterbacks in the country when he came out of high school, if he can start to play a little bit like he played at the end of last year, you know, Florida's got a shot to be a really good football team this year. So it's our first chance to see a top 10 team, an SEC team that finished incredibly strong last year. They they crushed Michigan, remember, in the Chick-fil-A Beach, uh, Peach Bowl. By the way, that was a smell test pe- pick, if I, if I remember correctly. But anyway, um, they've got a good team back. You know, they got that running back, P. Ryan, back. They've got Franks back. I think they've got one of their receivers back as well. And they've got some defensive talent for sure. Going to be an interesting team. I mean, they really finished strong last year um, in the first year uh, under under Mullen. Um, and and I just I like their team. I mean, they start off with a game against Miami. Miami's not ranked preseason, right? Am I right about that? I don't think they're ranked. Uh, this year, I think you're right. Um, they might be in the low twenty, in the twenties somewhere. Uh, well, they're they're not supposed to be that good in in Diaz's first year, but I like Mullen. I thought when Mullen got the job at Florida, he could turn the Gators around, and we'll see. They've got a they've got a favorable yeah. start, I think, to the schedule. You know, with with this game on a neutral field, they've got Kentucky on the road, Tennessee at home. Their first real test, I guess, tomorrow night is a real test, but their first real test comes. Early October, uh, Auburn's at home. Then they go to Baton Rouge. Uh, and then, of course, obviously the Georgia-Florida game in early November in Jacksonville. But uh, I like Florida. I can't wait to watch them play. They were one of my surprise teams last year. They, they didn't quite get as far as I thought they could get. I would pick them as a dark horse to be in the playoff this year. Uh, so you get, you get your first shot at that. You don't like that, do you? Uh, then I don't like them in the playoff. I mean, that's assuming if we're assuming that Alabama, are, are you assuming that they pass Georgia and make the SEC title game? Yeah, I, that would be the way. I just I think Georgia's really good. I really like Fromm. God, man, this whole SEC again because LSU's dangerous. Yep. Uh, the whole league um, really looks good. Uh, 
you know, the Gators, it's time for the Gators to get back into the into the contending circle. Um, it's been a while um, for them. But yeah. I, I, I think they're good. I just, I, I don't think they're better than Georgia. But we get real football tomorrow night. We do get ESPN. real football. It'll uh, be great. It'll be awesome. Why are, why are they opening the season this weekend? I, I think they just, you know, more and they want the more TV time. I think next year, actually, it's supposed to be... For some reason, I feel like it's supposed to be even bigger next year. They, they want to make this a thing, get kind of a teaser with a pretty good game. And who knows? It might be this game in the future. I know they just signed, I believe they signed a home and home for 2024 and 2025. Miami's not ranked, by the way. Yeah, there are other, others receiving Yeah, they're right votes, at the top of the others receiving votes. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're not ranked. I, I wonder if they thing. had – I mean, part of that is definitely the whole Tate Martell and the fact that he didn't pan right. out the way they thought. I wonder if he was starting, if he had panned out, if they would have snuck into the top 25. Yeah, I mean, when he transferred to uh, to Miami, I think everybody thought he would be the starting quarterback, but he's not. Um, you're starting to get, by the way, the over the last few days – a lot of those announcements on starting quarterbacks. And speaking of quarterbacks, Kasim Hill, who was this big time, you know, quarterback, you know, uh, athlete, but really, you know, considered to be a quarterback more than the athlete uh, designation when it comes to recruiting out of St. John's here locally that went to Maryland and tore his ACL not once, but twice. Yeah. Um, he's transferring to Tennessee. So I hope uh, he gets a chance, you know, down there. It, does he is, does he have to sit out a year? Probably not with the new coach, right? I think he probably would. I don't know that he for is. Certain. He is going to sit, sit out, out the twenty nineteen. I was going to say even season. if it wasn't, it would probably make sense yeah. for him. And boy, he's probably going to get a red, you know a, a medical red shirt. He'll have a lot of eligibility. Says he's got two seasons of eligibility left, and possibly three. I was going to say three. If they with appeal the to the NCAA about a medical red shirt. Right. Um, to be honest with you, I was excited about Kasim Hill. Uh, his his uncle was a was a referee that I used to run into all the time as a coach um, for many years, especially over at High Point and various areas around t- town and in PG County um, with one of the teams that I coached. And I loved his uncle. He was one of the greatest guys and was a, a an excellent referee and a big time high school referee. Um, and he would always tell me, like you know, going back years before Kasim even became a star at St. John's, I got a nephew. He's going to be a college quarterback. And then when he committed to Maryland, I was so excited. So I followed, you know, the Kasim Hill St. John's thing, and I just never thought he was a good enough thrower of the football. You know, they had to really. He was fine play action. He was fine as a boot quarterback, but on third down and ten, when he had to throw and make a throw. Um, that was not really his strength, as it isn't for a lot of college quarterbacks. He was, you know, he had great mobility, but you know, after two ACLs, we don't know what that'll look like. But I'm certainly rooting for Kasim Hill, who will end up at Tennessee, you know, in a big time program in the SEC, with you know a chance that if he ends up starting one of those years and playing well, he'll get noticed. You know, he will get noticed. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, you've got a lot of. Uh, announcements on the quarterbacks. UCF, who's you know, has had you know incredible quarterback situations here and offensive situations. Um, they're going to start Brandon Wimbush, the Notre Dame transfer that got announced the other day. There were a couple of others that I saw. Um, yeah, Jalen Hurts officially J- got announced. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jalen Hurts wasn't going to Oklahoma without starting. Of course. But, yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of these announcements are. Most of them weren't real competition. It was just, all right, we're officially announcing this guy who we knew was going to be a quarterback is the quarterback. It's going to be – I think it's going to be a really good college football season. The, the part of the college football season upcoming that you just don't like, I think, is just the predictable nature of who's going to end up in the playoff. Like, it's almost a lock that Clemson and Alabama, it feels like it now every year, are going to be there. I mean, you know, what's different about this year? What will change Clemson-Bama for what would it be, a sixth straight season? You know, in the playoffs or championship, fifth or sixth, whatever it is at this point. But my God, I mean, the talent that these teams have, you know, from Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, you know, offensively for Clemson to Tua and Jerry Judy at Alabama. I mean, you're talking about right there four Heisman candidates, you know, on offense. Um, you, you just have a lot of, of explosiveness. Clemson's number one going into this year. This may be Dabo's best team you know, coming off the national championship could be his best team. They, they ended up being the consensus number one in both polls, Bama two, Georgia three, Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Ohio state four or five. And, 
you know, right now you would bet it's Clemson, Bama, and then between Georgia, Oklahoma, and Ohio State, at least one of those. Yeah. And then I'm hoping for somebody new. I was going to say, if you want to say Big Ten champion instead of Ohio State, but yes, that if, if you want to believe in Michigan a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, if it's Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, and then you get a second SEC team, I'd like it to be Florida. I'd like it to be somebody new. Or LSU. How many playoff games has LSU played? Have they played in it? I don't know. I'm just trying that's, to think. Yeah, that, that's a very good question. I, I Off the top of my head, I don't think they have. I but. mean, they, they, they are probably out of the teams. I mean, Notre Dame's been in a playoff game. Uh, Florida State's been in it. Oregon's been in it. Auburn's been in it. I'm talking about since we've gone to the four-team playoff. Right. Um, LSU would probably be the biggest name program not to have played in the playoff, if that's true. How many years are we in? Five? This will be the sixth year. So we're five years in. Yeah. And yeah. no LSU, right? No LSU. Uh, Oregon was in one of them, right? Yeah, Oregon was Oregon was in the first one. You had the first one, Alabama, Oregon, Florida State, Ohio State. All right, because you ended up with Ohio State beating Oregon in the title game when Ohio State really shocked Alabama with Cardell Jones. Yeah, I mean, it's very much, you know, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, Oregon, Florida State, Michigan State, Notre Dame, and Oh, that's Washington. right. Michigan State made it the year they beat Iowa in the Big Ten title game. Yeah. And that, that was a good team, but they got walloped by Bama. And Washington got it one year. Washington got beat by Alabama pretty uh, good, too. Yeah. Um, the game, the game of the playoff uh, era was the game between Georgia and Oklahoma a couple of years ago. Yeah. The one that went 50-something to 40-something in an overtime or whatever. 54-48, two overtimes. Two overtimes. That game was sick. Um, remember, Oklahoma jumped out to a big lead, and then Georgia came back, and it was an awesome game. Yeah. I just remember having Georgia for the limit in that game, in that particular game. That Ohio State-Alabama game the first year, the 42-35 game. It was that incredible. Ohio State, that was the yeah. Cardell Jones game. Exactly. I mean, and Ohio State was the four seed. That was the year, the first year of the playoff was when they got in and TCU didn't. And that was the big controversy. Remember, TCU, yes. you know, and that was my son's freshman or sophomore year at, at TCU. And I remember him saying, you know, that everybody down there felt they got robbed and they were going with the big name over the non-marquee, you know, football school um, but TCU, uh, Baylor was in it too that year. You know, Baylor had a legitimate shot to make the playoff that year as well. I'd love to see some new blood uh, in the playoff uh, this year, definitely. Um, you got some real stars, you know, in college football this year. The quarterback position with Lawrence and Tua and Herbert, who, by the way, somebody mentioned the other day, right now is essentially the number one quarterback projected next year's draft. It's not Tua. It's yeah. Herbert from Oregon. Um, plus you've got the guy from Texas, Sam Ehlinger, who had mm -hmm. a decent year. A lot of people like Texas. You've got a defensive back like Grant Delpit at LSU, who's going to be a star, um, already is. Um, you've got some transfers like Jalen Hurts to Oklahoma, Justin Fields to Ohio State that are going to be really interesting uh, to watch this year. Um, you've got some new coach situations uh, out there. Um, it'll, be, it, it'll be cool to see Les Miles back in college football. You know, um, he's at Kansas, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I just I love Saturdays as much as I love Sundays. have always felt that way. Um, you know, we'll have some predictions more before the next, you know, before the full, you know, first weekend of college football uh, season. Um, I'm excited about Maryland and Loxley. I don't know how good they're going to be this year. You know, they're going to be young. It's a new system. But, you know, it's going to be really interesting because Mike Loxley is going to get players to College Park. They're going to have talent at Maryland here over the next few years. And they actually have had it in the last few years. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if he can bring Maryland football, you know, back to, you know, where it was best recently. And that would have been the Ralph Regan era, you know, where Ralph went to 10 bowl games, um, won seven of them. Uh, I'm sorry, went to seven bowl games in 10 years, won five of them. And uh, and that's really, I think, what Maryland football can and should be. Even in the Big Ten, you know, they should be going to bowl games uh, pretty much, you know, three out of four years. And 
you know, in the Big Ten, it would be awesome if one out of every five years they were actually in contention for the Big Ten title game. Hard to do it in the division that they are in in the Big Ten with Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State. Um, anyway, uh, one last thing, actually, um, because I know that you actually bet on this game already early. Um, I was watching ESPN yesterday. I forget which show it was. But Lewis Riddick was on the show, and he made a comment um, that that I just I totally agreed with, and it's something that is completely just random when it comes to NFL talk here. But I'm going to mention it because he said about Colts backup quarterback Jacoby Brissett. He said Brissett is a starting caliber winning quarterback. I hope he gets the chance to show it for for reasons other than because of an Andrew Luck injury. And so if you don't know this, Luck's injured right now, and he's questionable to start the regular season when, by the way, the Colts open up in Los Angeles against the Chargers and are three-point underdogs. And Aaron played this game like a week ago telling me, Luck's not going to play. I'm going to hedge on Luck not playing and play the Chargers minus three. Anyway, when Riddick said that, and I happened to be watching it, I just said, God, I totally agree with that. Whatever it is about Jacoby Brissett, going back to his days at NC State, I have loved him as a quarterback, and I've always sort of thought, this dude is an NFL quarterback. He's big, he's got the size, he's got the, he's got the arm, he's got some great mobility and, and great feel. And, you know, he's, he had the opportunity in 2017 when Luck was hurt to play a lot. Yes. But they had a terrible team around him. The offensive line was horrendous. Yes. So he did not have great results. But anyway... It, when, when Riddick said that yesterday, I thought, you know, he's going to get a shot next year. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. And I would bet you that in part because Bill Belichick liked Brissett, remember he was in New England, mm-hmm. um, that and now that, you know, you get Indianapolis, that he's been there for a couple of years, and maybe he'll get an opportunity to start some games and play well this year. But I'm just going to make a prediction and basically um, saddle up next to uh, Riddick's p- uh, prediction. I think Jacoby Brissett is going to get a chance to start in the NFL next year as an unrestricted free agent. I don't know what it is about him. I've always liked him. And by the way, just as an aside, I checked the line this morning, still minus three. I'm seeing four on my book. Oh, you are yeah. seeing four? Yeah. Well, maybe it went up today. Maybe there's there's new news on luck. But I don't think it's going to change dramatically. Um It'll I change a little bit. I was going to say I could see it getting up to let's say five or six if if Luck officially doesn't play. If it if he if he if he does, you should you should middle the game. You should oh, come yeah. back hard. Colts plus five because yeah. Brissett will be good enough to keep them competitive. All right. Um, on Monday, I think we'll have Chris Cooley on. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on this preseason game from last night uh, as we you know wend our way, wind our way. Uh, towards the regular season. We're 16 games and counting. God, next week's preseason game will be dreadful. Uh, 16 days away from Philadelphia. Have a great weekend, everybody.